What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I'm excited to bring you a topic we have not yet discussed, which is epigenetics. David Krantz is a certified epigenetics coach and sought-after expert in the field of individualized genetic-based nutrition and peak performance. As a lifelong musician, David sees the various systems of the body as parts of a complex symphony. And as a coach, he excels at helping clients fine-tune those parts to create resonant, harmonious health and harness their creative and personal power. In this episode, we dive into the basics of epigenetics, what lifestyle factors are playing the biggest roles and what are most often overlooked or underappreciated. We also talk about circadian epigenetics, and we also talk about breath work and how important that is to our physiology. I think you'll find lots of wonderful pearls of wisdom in this episode. Enjoy. All right, this week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I am excited to bring on David Krantz. David has a really interesting background that I'll have him dive into, but we connected over the interwebs as I often connect with many people, and I'm excited to bring you on. David, thanks for coming. Ah, thanks for having me on, Claudia. Absolutely. So as we always start, what does true wellness mean to you? True wellness for me means understanding your health horizons. And what I mean by that is understanding where you are right now and what the possibilities are for you to have a more robust, well-functioning system and be able to see that and be able to kind of gauge yourself in the context of, you know, what, what you're health is like right now, what the possibilities you see that you know could be improved, and then working with that in terms of what you want and having agency over that. And I think um, agency is a really important piece of wellness to be able to say, you know, I, I don't need to run a marathon every day, but I'd like to have uh, this particular level of health in this area. And so, you know, I think about wellness in so many different facets. There's um, physical wellness and mental wellness and emotional wellness and, and spiritual wellness. And I think true wellness is really taking stock of all of those factors and really understanding, you know, what, which pieces are important to you and how to generate uh, wellness that's robust in the areas that are important. Really some valuable wording here that I want to point out and just highlight um, that maybe hasn't necessarily been shared in this way. And I love getting those different insights and perspectives. First is health horizons. I love that terminology. And then robust functioning system. I think that often we lose sight of how well we can actually feel and robust isn't necessarily a descriptor that many people would use for their current health or wellness. And, um, but knowing that again, with the word possibilities that with some shifts and cha positive changes, robust could be a descriptor you could use. So uh, love all of those concepts and appreciate that. So let's go ahead and give the listeners a background into your journey for those who don't necessarily know you or your background. What is the background and your journey that led you to the work that you do today? 
Sure. So my background initially was actually in music and audio production. And I was a touring musician in my early 20s and ran into some major health breakdowns. I did not have a robust system that was able to cope with staying up all night and you know being on tour and just the other life stresses that were coming my way that kind of forced me to really re-examine what I was doing. And I got really into fixing my own body, uh, really into the biohacking world and, and looking at all of these different ways to increase wellness. And I was just kind of in the right place at the right time because I was working at a synthesizer manufacturer building musical instruments uh, and really just downloading all this health information. I had kind of taken time off tour to, to just you know take a, a nine to five job and kind of reboot my system. And I was listening to this one particular podcast that I love. It was called Biohacking for Optimal Health with this doctor named Dan Stickler. And I was just eating all this information as quickly as I could. I thought he was great. And I did not know that he had an office next door to me. And one day on my lunch break, I took a walk and realized that the logo on this building next door was the same logo on this podcast I'd been listening to. And so I booked a call with, or I booked a you know time to meet with them because I just wanted some blood work done. And it turned out that they were actually looking to hire someone who had an audio background because they were uh, wanting to create audio meditation programs. Uh, the co one of the co-founders of the business uh, was an audiologist and had a special interest in sound and human health. And so I got involved with them. And then right around the same time, uh, Dr. Dan, Dr. Stickler um, developed a training program for epigenetics and uh, epigenetic coaching, which is, was kind of his area of specialty, which is why I was so attracted to, you know, his work in the first place. And I was there working with them and he asked me if I'd beta test his training program. And I just found that I had a kind of natural tendency to be able to work with this information and, um, first work with it myself, kind of get my health back online, and then realize it translated to working with other people. And so that's what I've been doing ever since, kind of made the transition from artist to health artist in a way. Mm, so interesting. I don't think I've had quite this specific uh, outline of a background. So really interesting. And I always love synchronistic stories. And I was actually just talking to a friend who owns a yoga studio and she was telling me she knew when she found the right place because the the, the roof was um, exactly positioned like her logo in her in her um, business. So, it, so I love that you just brought that up because timing wise it, we were just talking about that synchronicity. So I, I love those, those type of stories where you just know that you're being led to the right direction. So really, really cool. Okay. Well, let's just dive in for those who are not familiar with epigenetics. Maybe that term is vaguely familiar. Like maybe the news brought it up or maybe a podcast brought it up. Can you just dive into what that is? Yeah, totally. And, you know, what we were talking about in the beginning when I was mentioning robust systems, I'd love to kind of tie that in to this concept of what an anti-fragile system is. I think um, as we talk about epigenetics, it will make a lot of sense in terms of how to create robust wellness and actually the step beyond that, which is anti-fragile. So, in this mode of, of scientific thinking called complex systems thinking, which has become a really um, pervasive way of visualizing and conceptualizing like the human system, right? It's, it's not something that has just a one in one out kind of output. Like it's not like a, um, 
a plane, you know, which is a complicated system because we can identify all the parts and all these little individual things that they do. The, the human body has all of these parts, but they have so many functions that you just can't possibly conceptualize all of them at once. And um, there's this idea, and there's a great book called Anti-Fragile that looks at the way systems work. And the idea is that there's fragile systems, which um, are very efficient, but if you take away one piece of them, it stops working. Um, if you, and then you have robust systems, which are able to withstand stress um, because there's multiple redundant pathways that can kind of pick up the, the, the pieces. And then you have anti-fragile systems, which are actually the opposite of a fragile system. And that means that as, it, as a system encounters stress, it actually gets stronger because it incorporates the information from the environment and really builds a stronger, each pathway becomes more robust as it encounters stress. And our bodies have this system called epigenetics in them, which allows us to be anti-fragile systems. And we'll back up and, and just talk about when we discovered genetics, you know, DNA, the structure of DNA in, in the 50s, we, we had this idea that your genes code for proteins, which code for traits. And all of these things that make you you are hardwired and they're set in stone. Your disease risk, you know, you're either going to get cancer or you're not. You're either going to uh, be healthy or you're not. You're either going to be an athlete or you're not. And that was kind of it. And that's what, you know, biology thought for a long time. Well, uh, you know, either and like you're either going to be a fragile system or you're going to be a robust system, and that's just coded. Well, over the last thirty years or so, and you know, they just just discovered the beginning inklings of this in the '80s, and it's really been in the past ten, fifteen years that we have a better understanding of how this works. Um, your genes actually can change their expression in response to the environment. And when you encounter a stressor in the environment, it actually turns on and turns off this complex dance of different genes that code for different proteins to allow us to respond. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, each gene is responsible in your body for, say, creating a different enzyme or hormone or neurotransmitter. There's all, all of the biochemistry in your body has this underlying genetic component, but you know that over time, you know, it's not, we're not just producing the exact same biochemical soup all the time. That stuff is changing. And epigenetics really underlies that ability to adapt and change to different environments or even change the way that we produce hormones on a daily 24-hour rhythm basis. You know, when you produce melatonin at night to go to sleep, that's being triggered by epigenetic mechanisms that are sensing the light environment around you and turning off the genes that code for the hormones that um, create, uh, create the awake activated state and turn up the genes that are related to turning on the hormones and neurotransmitters that make you go to sleep and rege regenerate at night. And so these things happen on different timescales. They can happen in a 24 hour rhythm. They can happen over a lifetime, you know, aging, there's a epigenetic component to aging. Uh, and it can also happen intergenerationally and you know, things that are actually passed down from one generation to another. But back to the idea of 
these systems that can actually be more robust when they encounter stress. This is what epigenetics allows us to do. And if you think about something like exercise, where this is actually a huge stressor to the, to the system, you know, sh these short bursts of, of high stress, high energy demand. Well, the exercise, one of the main reasons it's so good is it actually turns on all of these genes that allow us to be more adaptive and more resilient if we were to encounter similar situations again. If we were to encounter a time where we had to run really fast, our body would say, oh, well, we're kind of used to this now. We've encountered these little stimuli, these little stressors that have set us up to be really good when we need to do that. And so this is why epigenetics from a health perspective it's so exciting because we can selectively choose these different inputs into the system that make for a more robust and anti-fragile system and kind of eliminate the inputs that actually um, create more risk of being more fragile. And epigenetics is sort of this just built-in adaptive response to the environment. And when you look at it on the individual level, um, you can really fine tune the way that your body runs and the way that you encounter stress in the world. Um, and so that's what I do as a coach is kind of, you know, help people understand how they can leverage this system that underlies the, pretty much all of your biochemistry, all of your health, all of your wellness, um, and look at it from that perspective. Super interesting. And you're totally tapping into my type A nerd uh, background that I haven't really tapped into in a little bit, but here I am like feverishly taking notes on, you know, fragile, robust, anti-fragile. Super cool. Always, always fun. I feel like I, I had a little bit of a class there. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I have heard of the term, knew a little bit about it, but I always appreciate a, a refresher and more detailed look into it. And it really kind of brings me to, you know, the work that I do as a patient advocate. I'm often talking to people about becoming activated patients and taking a more proactive role. And I think that this concept gives us a better look into how much of a role we still can play that our genetics aren't the, um, you know, the end all be all and that we have no say in how, how robust our wellness can actually be, but that we can make some positive changes that can be affected on a molecular level. So really, really interesting. What lifestyle factors uh, would you say play the biggest roles or, or is our understanding that play the biggest roles and what are most often overlooked or underappreciated lifestyle factors that, that many people just don't realize play a big role? Great question. Um, I'll, I'll kind of preface this by saying, you know, when we first started looking at how genetics impact health and you can watch this trend change in the research over the past 20 years or so, there was not a lot of attention to lifestyle factors. It was still just genetics. And then you see this, uh, this phrase emerge over time called the gene environment interaction. And now almost every single paper that is looking at how genetics impact uh, human health say, well, the most important thing is going to be the gene environment interaction. And when I say environment, it is all these lifestyle factors. Um, you know, what food you're putting in your body, um, what exercise you're doing, what movement, what stress you're under, what relationships are like, um, all of the, what air you're breathing, what toxins you're taking in, what light you're exposed to. All of these things have been shown to cause epigenetic changes. I mean, it's really like all of the information you're getting 
and maybe um, you know some of your listeners might have heard the idea that food is information. Um, you really want to think about food as these. It's not just you know nutrients. Those nutrients actually send signals to our body to tell us how how to function, how um, you know what's going on in the environment around us, and so. We think of our bodies as these just complex information sensing machines. Uh, it's it's everything basically. But um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest overlooked ones is light. Actually, we are in kind of this weird time in human history where, for the first time, you know, over the last hundred years or so, we've changed our light environment radically as compared to pretty much 99.9% of the rest of the time that humans have been alive. Um, you know, we were pretty much just getting light from the sun and fire. And all of a sudden we've shifted this to where we're being bathed in frequencies of light that would not normally have been present, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, the balance of frequencies that come out of a light bulb is very different than that of the, the sun or, you know, the screens that we're looking at right now to talk to each other have a very different balance. And the human body uses light as a strong signal input to, um, to especially for that 24-hour rhythm we were talking about before, to kind of gauge that and use it as a way to know what time of day it is. And by throwing off some of those signals, there's some pretty strong evidence and research that we're kind of throwing off some of our hormonal cycles and changing some of the oxidative stress dynamics in the body, which is really important in terms of looking at cell damage and cell signaling. And if I had to choose one thing that I would say, hey, this is worth paying attention to, it's really thinking about your lighting environment and how much you can change artificial lighting wherever you are in your home or office or whatever uh, to be more like the light frequencies from the sun that we would naturally get or just get more sunlight, guess, get less artificial light if you can. Hmm. Really interesting. I do think that that is very overlooked. Even in my own life, I feel like that's very overlooked. I know that there are certainly bodies of literature looking at that, but I don't think that it's um, widely discussed or information is widely disseminated about it. So if we are, if we just take that topic, because I do think that there is a general understanding, or at least, um, you know, I think that there is some information, more information on nutrition and exercise that people can grasp onto, but this maybe not as much. What are some of your recommendations along these lines of light specifically? Yeah. So I think one of the big things is going to be blue light exposure at night. And blue light is the uh, portion of the, the spectrum visible spectrum that our bodies use mostly to time um, sleep and wake cycles because, you know, zoom back a couple hundred years ago before artificial light, they, and you can see this actually, if you watch sunrise and sunset, you know, kind of before the sun comes up on the horizon and you can just begin to see the bits of light in the morning, you get this very cool, like blue effect that happens. Um, and that would have been the time of day where we had the most blue light. And it happens because of the, the angle of the sun on the, coming through the atmosphere, kind of filters out certain frequencies. And same thing that happens at sunset. When the sun disappears over the horizon, there's a specific um, pattern of, of light frequencies. And we've like totally overshot 
that natural signal that would have said, Hey, that's, it's like morning time or, Hey, it's, the sun's going down. We've, we've totally overshot that with the amount of blue that's in our devices. Uh, LED lights are very heavy in the blue spectrum, even though it looks like white light. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot more blue than the sun. And the big thing with that is it at a night, it suppresses melatonin. And melatonin is one of the big hormones that tells your body that it's time to go to sleep. And it also uh, resets all of these circadian clocks in our body. It actually epigenetically signals to all of these um, processes in our body that, hey, it's a certain time and we're all going to sync to this clock. It's like, uh, if you imagine a conductor in an orchestra, blue light is kind of the metronome that syncs that. Uh, conductor up, and with uh, excess blue light, right, what they've sh they've shown is that it it decreases melatonin secretion and it delays it. So if you're watching Netflix up until ten o'clock, well, if you go to bed right at ten o'clock, you're probably not going to actually start secreting melatonin for another two hours or so because it takes the body that long from the last blue light exposure, last strong blue light exposure to start making melatonin. So you might actually be losing, you know, deep sleep, good sleep by getting blue light exposure right up until you go to bed. So the big thing is to uh, block blue light on your devices. There's certain software you can get. Um, there is, if you have an iPhone, you can Google something called hidden red mode that you can actually do, um, it's better than night shift. Night shift does not actually block out the, the important frequencies, unfortunately, but there is a way to do it with something called hidden red mode that you go into the accessibility settings and change it. Uh, but the big thing is to use blue blocking glasses, which are going to be red or orange lenses that directly filter out the light before it hits your eyes. And so doing that, um, can really radically change people's sleep quality, which radically changes the regenerative abilities of the body, changes the ability to handle stress. And, you know, sleep is the foundational thing. Like I can give someone all the nutritional recommendations that are perfect for their body, uh, put them on the right exercise program. Uh, but if they're not sleeping well, all those other things basically don't matter. Sleep is the core foundation. And so block, um, you know, changing your light environment, uh, I, I find is one of the, the biggest ways to quickly get to a better sleep quality. Mm, so important. I can never emphasize sleep enough. I think it's never emphasized enough. And so I appreciate that you're bringing that up. What, what for somebody before we move on to breath uh, talking, what, what would you say to somebody who says, I do, you know, I am on screens a lot. I am exposed to blue light a lot, but I still do sleep well. Do I still need to take these precautions because there are other changes at the molecular and genetic level that I'm not necessarily experiencing or noticing, or is it only for those who aren't sleeping well? I would say everyone could benefit from it. And it comes back to what we were initially talking about with these different horizons of wellness. And I specifically call them horizons because when you're what a horizon is, is it's something that you can't quite see beyond until you get closer to it. And then there you realize there's actually another horizon beyond it. And so this idea that, okay, you know, I'm, I think I'm sleeping pretty well. Well, maybe you could 
be sleeping better. You just don't know it because you've never tried these other things and you're just used to the way that you're feeling. Um, you know, it's kind of like the idea of a fish not knowing that there's water around it because that's all it knows. And so I think for anyone that says, yeah, you know, I think my sleep is fine. It's worth experimenting with these techniques that we kind of know will optimize sleep. And it's, for me, about saying, okay, here's what I know is okay, and being curious and giving yourself permission to wonder what would it be like if this was actually better, if this, this was actually closer to optimal. So I would say that you know, if you're sleeping well and you're getting a lot of blue light, well, then great. Your body is a little more naturally resilient. And you can take advantage of that and not just stop there, but um, probably get a lot closer to optimal than say someone who had really poor sleep to begin with. And so look at that as, you know, a gift and an advantage. Wonderful. Really interesting. And I think valuable advice and it gets, gets us back to the descriptor of robust, right? Maybe we don't even know how robust our bodies can be if we give it all, all of the support that it needs. So really interesting. Let's, before we start to slowly wrap up, let's talk a little bit about breath work and how physiologically that can affect the nervous system. Yeah, absolutely. So the breath is one of the only autonomic processes, meaning kind of automatic processes in the body that we also have conscious control over, direct conscious control over. You know, it's very hard to say, speed up your heart rate or to change your blood pressure at will. You know, you'd have to be a really advanced yogi to, to do that. But pretty much everyone can slow or speed up their breath. And that is a really powerful way to engage with the nervous system and the stress response and actually the immune system as well is directly tied into the way that the nervous system is firing and, 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 and balanced. And with breath, there are nerves, uh, specifically this nerve called the vagus nerve that connects the organs of the body and uh, the heart and the gut and um, all of these different kind of sensing parts of the body to the brain and connects the brain back to them. So it's, it's this bi-directional information pathway. And by slowing your breathing down and changing the way that your diaphragm is expanding, uh, you can actually affect the way that your brain works and, and vice versa. And it's, it's just such a powerful way to change the way your body responds to stress and uh, really like I said, you know, similar to sleep where it will affect all these other processes. If you're, you know, eating well and you're exercising, but you're stressed out and your, your, your nervous system is kind of on edge all the time. And this can also be something where you don't even realize it. Most people don't realize that they're breathing at a very fast rate. And if they slow their breathing down, it actually changes the rest of the way that the body is able to use nutrients slow down and connect with other people, change immune response, and you just have this whole system's wide um, uh, effect that is just really powerful with uh, utilizing breathwork techniques. And really valuable and timely information right now as we're, as we're recording this, and um, it will come out in a few weeks, but we're obviously dealing with this you know, international pandemic and people are at home and they have maybe a little bit more time than they typically have. I think that we do get into a habit of hustle and bustle and shallow 
fast breathing to the point where we don't even realize it. But now that we have some downtime and we could use any boost in our immune system that we can possibly find, what are some of your maybe practical tips on somebody who is not used to breath work. So they, maybe they don't have an app. They haven't had a, you know, a, a coach who has helped them through this. What are some ways people can start the process of working with breath work? What does that look like? How would you start to coach somebody who is unfamiliar with this concept? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the big things is to start to, uh, I'll give you kind of a couple steps here. Uh, I think one of the big things is to start noticing where your breath is located in your body. Most people that don't usually pay attention to their breath are going to have their breath more centered in the top of their chest. Um, but if you're able to engage the diaphragm more and actually send your breath lower, it actually changes the way that your body responds uh to your breath. It, it gives you more of an ability to, to calm your nervous system and engage the parasympathetic side, which is the, the rest and digest part of the nervous system. So low is the first thing. Uh, slow is the second thing where you know most people breathe at a rate between 12 and 20 times per minute, which is really considered anxiety breathing when you look at the literature. Um, and in terms of a specific breath practice that is designed to kind of balance your, your body, it's the optimal breathing rate is about five to seven breaths per minute. And this is from HeartMath Institute's research. Um, they've done some really excellent work looking at how this, how the breath changes the um, communication between the brain and the body. And slowing your breath down can be very helpful. And I actually run a company called Inner Depth Audio that I have some tools that people can go check out. Um, and uh, we can include a code, a code in the show notes for people if they want a discount on some of those programs. But what they, they do is um, they actually give people a uh, paced breath rate to breathe with. Um, so something that you can follow that's easy to just, you know, count one, two, three, four, breathe in, two, one, two, three, four, breathe out, and uh, gives you something so that you don't have to think about how fast your breath is. You can just listen to the music and it helps you. Um, and there's also some brainwave entrainment frequencies in there, which uh, change your brainwaves into a more meditative state naturally. And uh, so if anyone's interested in that, they can check out innerdepthaudio.com. We can put a link for your, your listeners in the show notes for that uh, and a, a coupon code. Um, but using a tool like that, um, music is great. Um, there's also some biofeedback tools. Heart Math Institute makes a great one called the Inner Balance app that uh, will actually track your heart rate as you're breathing, measure something called heart rate variability, which is really helpful in terms of understanding what your breath is doing to your body in real time and then being able to adjust it. But I think the, the biggest thing for, for most people is just slowing down a little bit and breathing through your nose, especially also, I'll put that in there, that it's really important that you do this through your nose and not through your mouth because of the way that uh, the oxygen and carbon dioxide ratios work with that. And it's way more than we can get into today. But um, low, slow, and um, you know, just really making that a part of a daily routine, I think, is helpful. Five, ten minutes a day is... is is really all you need at a minimum to start changing some of these stress response dynamics. 
Mm, so helpful. I, I love the concept of just low and slow. I think something that just boils down to simplicity is what people can typically resonate with. I uh, will absolutely include those links. And as we wrap up, um, I'm just curious to know, as you look back on your own journey and your, your background in music, could you ever have envisioned uh, the work that you're doing now coming from and playing into your musical background? Um, or did you, did you envision something like this? I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, it depends uh, when, when, what, what younger self you would have asked that question to me at 20. No, not at all. Um, you know, me at 25. Yeah, probably a little bit more, but I will say that I've been kind of one of those weirdos who's always been interested in the brain and consciousness and, um, kind of how sound and everything is involved with that. So it, it is kind of a logical extension in some ways of, you know, just what I've been interested in for a while. Um, but I will say that, um, using this type of technology, the brainwave entrainment and breath work, um, I would say is actually one of the critical things that got me out of a really dark place when my health crashed, you know, in my mid-20s from touring and stuff. Um, I started to use this stuff every day uh, and felt like it actually really helped me change the hyper-stressed overstimulated state that I was in um, and get me to a place where my body could repair and regenerate. So uh, I would say to any of your listeners, if they feel like they are having trouble um, getting out of a fear or anxiety state, um, you kind of um, changing that with sound and, and with breath um, can be a really excellent way to kind of break the cycle there. I think that some of these tools that can be done in minimal amounts of time, but can be super beneficial um, and understanding the concepts of epigenetics and, and our role in being able to impact our own health and wellness is so impactful. So thank you so much for sharing. I will share your links, David, but if, is there any other, did you want to include any other places people can find you? Um, I, the other place people can find me is my main website, uh, david crantscom david-crantz.com. And, you know, we didn't get too far into it, but one of the things I, I do is look at people's genetics and then help them understand what are the best inputs to create epigenetic changes. So if anyone is interested in that work, they can book a free 30 minute call with me on my site. Uh, and I've got a bunch of articles and other things, and um, maybe we want to link uh, an article I have on blue light as well uh, yeah. in the show notes too. Um, but yeah, david-crans.com uh, or inner depth audio, I N N E R D E P T H A U D I O.com. Uh, both of those places I have resources and tools that might be useful for people. Perfect. Thank you so much, David. This has been really fascinating for me. I love your journey and how it all played out. And I love the work that you're doing. So thanks for sharing with our listeners. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and giving me the opportunity to share and uh, really appreciate all the questions and um, yeah, opportunity to yeah just uh, give people more of an opportunity to create more robust and anti-fragile wellness. So thanks. A huge thank you to David for sharing this with us today. Uh, what a fascinating field and body of literature and study this is. I really appreciated and enjoyed our conversation. I will have this in the show notes, but for those who uh, maybe won't make it over there to that section, his website is Inner Depth Audio, I-N-N-E-R-D-E-P-T-H. 
audio.com. And he is offering our listeners, and we're so thankful for this, 50% off of any program using the coupon code MINDINGWELLNESS, altogether lowercase. So I will have that in the show notes, but I wanted to let those of you know who maybe won't make it over to that section that you have the ability to get that discount, which is fabulous. Thank you, David. Again, I really appreciated this conversation. I think that this is a topic that we will be hearing more about and um, really fascinating sort of behind the scenes look at how epigenetic plays out and what it is. So thanks again, David. And um, just really quick, sorry about the um, random Wi-Fi and sound glitches throughout this episode. I hate this was just at the start of our uh, lockdown and quarantine. And I think maybe Zoom was a little bit bombarded at this point. So um, I, I hope that you still were able to get the content appreciated as much as I did and uh, find value in it. But I will see you here again next time. Please be safe and well. Mm-hmm.